1: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously
0: dependable. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Uh, It's me. Dan Johnson. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend and uh, we are kicking this week off with one hell of a podcast. Now don't let the title fool you. Uh, this podcast is more than just Monster Meal and more than just a guy talking about the company and talking about the products. It goes much deeper than that. And actually, if you listen closely, you're going to get a lot of knowledge in this podcast as well uh, because Blake Davis, uh, he helps run Monster Meal, has a lot of knowledge about whitetail deer, um, what their bodies need, what the products actually do for the whitetail and just some overall biology information as well not to mention we get into a a really good conversation about cwd so uh, this is just going to be a really good interesting podcast that happens to revolve around um, the product monster meal um, and what those products do for your deer herd and uh, so just a lot of uh, really good information and I don't really, really want to say too much more about that because Blake does a really good job doing that and uh, we go off on a couple of tangents but we always come back to uh, you know, the, the source of the information which is really quality information and, and uh, that's why I wanted to get him on the podcast today because he's a smart dude. And uh smart dudes are really entertaining. All right. But before we get into today's podcast, I want to talk about wasp archery, right? First off, first and foremost, if you want to save twenty dollars off one of their or excuse me, twenty percent, if you want to save twenty percent off of one of their um Products, you know, you go to their website wasparchery.com and uh, place an order. And when you enter the discount code Nine Fingers, that's the number nine followed by the word fingers, you'll save twenty percent. Now, why wasp? Well, first and foremost, their their material that they use to make their products is like grade A, right? And I've I've talked with uh, Fred Doherty one of the engineers of the company, and the materials they use to make their products don't get better right they they're using the the top-notch stuff and um their design mixed with their material just makes for one kick-ass broadhead uh tough durable and sharp right i mean those are the three things you want it's the first thing that touches the animal so it can't fail and wasp broadheads are built not to fail they have fixed blade they have um mechanical so you get to choose what style you like i'm a fixed blade i'm a huge fan of the boss four blade they have a new product called the havilon so what they've done is they've um kind of merged with just on this product they've kind of uh uh, done a, a combination with Havilon knives and Wasp broadheads and they've come out with this broadhead called the Havilon, and it's another kick-ass broadhead that they make now a majority of the Wasp broadheads that are, are manufactured are made in America right so another reason to, to love the brand so if you want to find out more about these heads and why I like them so much go check out wasparchery.com and remember if you decide to purchase Enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and uh, go kill something with them because they love getting <laughs> they love getting uh, pictures of guys holding like a deer heart in their hand with a broadhead through it. These guys love that stuff and and quite frankly, that's why they make their products. So uh waspartree.com. Now, enough of the BS. Let's get into today's podcast with Blake Davis of Monster Meal. This is crazy because I've recorded podcasts in a lot of different places, but I have never recorded a podcast in a dance studio before. We're in Traeger, Iowa, in a room above RubLine Marketing. I'm here with uh, Blake Davis of Monster Meal, and it's kind of weird because there's all these dance trophies around, and uh, it's a unique, a unique place to record a podcast.
1: You get marketing, guys. I mean, what, what, <laughs> you never know what you're going to see when you walk through the door at RubLine. They're a pretty diverse group, and then you come upstairs into this, and you see ballerina dresses and cheerleader <laughs> outfits. And, uh, it starts with questions for Bo, and it, it, it doesn't get any better from there. But I'm uh, glad to have you here
0: today. Yeah, absolutely. So I got a, a lot of questions because I was hyping myself up on the drive here this morning um, to talk about feeding deer nutrition you know all these things and you know there's a lot of different products on the market and um, I kind of want to I want to start at the very beginning and this is almost before monster meal was even a company talk to us a little bit it's, it's called the Tennessee Growers Association Tennessee
1: farmers cooperative okay is uh, we're a 64 year old 800 plus million dollar agricultural cooperative we've got three mills spread across Tennessee and we service The state of Tennessee, a little bit of northern Alabama, and and we're starting to delve into Kentucky, Uh, our business is providing animal nutrition, uh, animal, we have an animal health product line, uh, but everything agriculture, and that gives us a unique position within the industry, and it it might be a good point to tell you about how I came to Monster Meal. Obviously, I've worked within the industry for a little while now, and I met the gentleman that I replaced when he retired and I asked him a very direct question is why would anybody want to play in the attractant market? It seems like there's a lot of different people in it. Um, there's a lot of hocus pocus and a lot of voodoo. And Jim was a very, Jim Godfrey was a very quiet guy and he, he very understated. Uh, so long story short, I was at an ASA tournament in Texas. I had to drive home. So I wanted to drive through and just meet with Jim and Jim invites me in for barbecue at a 130-acre facility in a very modern mill. And it became very apparent that not only did they want to play in this segment, they could play in this segment. It was just an extension of what they did. Um, And as you dig deeper into Tennessee Farmers Cooperative, we have two full-time ruminant nutritionists. Both of them are hunters. Uh, They saw opportunity to the market um that spawned monster meal it's gone through a couple iterations uh jim handed it off to me last july i've been here almost 10 months and uh, our approach is is just very different than the typical what we call
0: bait in a bag or pour and products right right um, so i want to kind of go back a little bit though and i want to talk about you know you have this agriculture company And it's getting ready to take a step into the quote-unquote hunting community, the hunting industry. How alike are, let's say, other animals like a sheep or a goat or a cow or a horse to a wild animal like a whitetail? Uh,
1: There's a lot of similarities, but each each animal, obviously we don't feed the same thing to beef cattle dairy cattle, sheep, goats, right. horses. Uh, we don't just do that. We do everything from a cricket feed, okay. worm feed. Uh, we, we do millions of dollars of specialty feed. Okay, And what that requires is a really diverse background and specialization in animal nutrition. You have to be able to analyze not only what animal you're feeding, how they're going to intake the product, what influences the intake of that product, right. and what the end result you're trying to achieve is. Um, and you develop the products around that. We have all the infrastructure and intellect to do that, um, like I said, from mm-hmm. crickets to camels. I mean, w- we've probably done it, bid it, or actually manufacture it now. So, so there's a lot
0: of research and development that goes into every product that you guys produce.
1: Absolutely. it's uh, Anybody can bag a product that will be attractive to a wild animal mm-hmm. in the short term because what we'll take the hunting community typically they see that bag and and their thought is the application is open the bag dump it in a position where it's going to increase my opportunity to get an animal in position for a shot and while we make an attractant that will absolutely do that and we believe better than any other product when you dump that bag you leave that bag in the woods so is that product working for you in any way after you go back home overnight, over the week to the weekend, gotcha. depending on how you do. So uh, what we really wanted to create was a, was a very streamlined product line that had nutritional benefit, even in the attractant side. Right. And then we're seeing this emerging segment of the population that is really, they want to be conservationist land managers. Uh, I always joke, when I started hunting in upstate New York, nobody bought land to hunt on because it just, you, you could get access right. anywhere for little to nothing. Um, but what we've seen is as the population demographic changes, uh, people have moved away from the farms, farms get sold, they get purchased by bigger entities who have liability, Um, And there's a commercial aspect to hunting that was non-existent when I was a kid, and that's the prevalence of leasing. So people are investing in their own recreation differently, and they want a better experience out of that. Mm. So they can do things like plant food plots and and set up feeders, mineral licks. Uh, They can start to provide opportunity for the nine months of the year for the wildlife on their property, when they can't hunt and they're they're a lot more conscious of the fact that the way they prepare directly has an effect of, of their experience in the woods got gotcha. you know and you know we're, see, we're seeing a lot more people look for healthier deer bigger antler bucks uh, more fawns uh, there's just there's an excitement of watching yeah. that happen and then you know the whole reason that we hunt is because we want to be part of that and affect it one way or the other um, most of us don't like to leave it alone just for a month and a half, and and supplemental feeding is is a very good way to maintain animal density, proper nutrition, uh, attraction. We always call it conditioning. Um, once animals become conditioned to pr- to premium habitat, they use it more. Yeah. Um, and they use it more efficiently. And you can you can actually do seasonal or weather offsets with a supplemental feeding program that are not possible. Just by planning or relying on natural food sources, so gotcha. there is a real opportunity. It's not just hey, throw this out, kill a big buck,
0: kind right. of thing. So the reason you're on this podcast is because I find the backstory interesting as far as the, the the product Monster Meal because it comes from a place of research, development, science-backed information, right? A lot of facts and outcomes. The product Monster Meal. Now, I don't even know. I don't. Even, I don't know how long, but five years ago, seven years ago, you have all these companies in the in the hunting industry putting out attractants, putting out feed, putting out um, products. I don't want to say similar to yours, but similar to yours. You guys occupy the same space, same correct? categories, yeah, same category. Absolutely. That are just basically buckets of salt. Right, and they have no real value other than getting a deer to come to a trail camera or come to a place so you can shoot it. Right. So what you've already touched on it a little bit, but what different you know what different differentiates you from the rest of the the products in your space?
1: Most of the products come. From two sides, one is either a purely hunting viewpoint, yeah, which is what can I inexpensively put in a bag um, to achieve higher odds of a deer walking in front of me, right? And those are usually met with a varying degree of results. The other side is their secondary products, just manufactured for agricultural reasons and reapplied in a different bag, right? Okay, um, both of them will work to a reasonable degree. But when you look at it, salt is a great example. Yeah. Sodium. Sodium is an, the only element that a deer has the ability to self-regulate based on consumption. They can consume a fair amount of it. They need it for uh, vascular pressure maintenance and digestive health. Uh, so they seek it out. So, yeah, you can take a sodium product, sodium carbonate or sodium chloride, dump it out. You'll have wildlife come to it. It is attractive. It's attractive. Um, but you're missing an opportunity because there's other things that animals need. So we looked at it and said, okay, we have to feed this. One, it's totally different than an agricultural product. An agricultural product is fed in a finite quantity in a confined area to an animal that can't leave, walk away, right. move, and is not reliant on its environment for food for the most part. Right. You know, you can make an argument for beef, cattle, or goats that graze. Um, sheep that graze but they're always going to come back and think about that Mm -hmm. the agriculturalist says okay i have a wonderful farm but it doesn't give my animals everything that they need so therefore i'm going to have some sort of supplemental feed right now you could take an agricultural product and provide limited benefit to a wild animal um, but they generally are not consumed the same way by a wild animal right so one of the first hurdles that you have to overcome is what can we put in this that's not only attractive to, to wildlife, um, but is designed to feed in an open-air environment, uh, either using a feeder or just dumping it on the ground or anything like that. So there's a lot of challenges with wildlife that you don't get presented with with domestic livestock because domestic livestock are in a barn or in a fence. Um, so you, you do. You have to go back to your science and say, okay, we back to our, our sodium opportunity. Yeah. We make mineral blocks that have uh, a salt and sodium content that's attractive to whitetails, but we also add vitamins, minerals, um, different, different things that also benefit the animal. Um, you know, you look at a deer, you look at a cow, um, and I always go back to white salt and trace mineral salt mm-hmm. blocks. Uh, deer will come to them because of the sodium. Animals will come to them to the sodium. But... Uh, Agriculturalist understood that if I need to get a higher amount of mineral or vitamin into my animal, it's not going to happen by looking this rock hard block. Right. Um, And with deer, they can only consume about a half an ounce of mineral at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's basal element, it's rock. Yeah. So it's it's not exactly like you know it's like you you and I going out and trying to chew on sand. Yeah. Um, Or try taking in a tablespoon of salt it's uh you're gonna be lucky if you don't hurl right so you have to create a balanced environment to do that with so we actually went back and we said okay what other elements and vitamins can we put in the block that aren't just going to be wasted in the application because you can put it in but sometimes um if they if the elements oxidize out in the air great, we put it in, you paid for it, and you get no benefit from it. Right. So you really have to pick your the, the way that you apply that uh, scientifically based right. upon experience. Um, and we have 64
0: years of animal nutrition experience. Nice. So let me ask you this. How do you know what to put in Monster Meal that makes it so beneficial for the deer? Right? How, how do you know what deer actually need throughout the year? Um, that's kind of a
1: complicated question because one, there's been research since the 1930s on white-tailed deer where they've done captive deer studies. UNH up near me, University of New Hampshire has had a a longstanding tradition of white-tailed deer studies. Uh, University of Auburn, Mm -hmm. Alabama, a few universities in Texas. They understand exactly how these things affect reproductive capability, weight gain, disease resistance. Uh, metabolic function uh because they got really egg headed yeah um even in agriculture you're going to leverage other research uh because you can't do it all yourself, yeah, but what you do is you take all that knowledge, you put it into a product, you get it out in the real world environment, and then you see if if your expected reaction is the reaction that you you want right um Tennessee farmers. 64-year-old company with a great reputation for animal health and nutrition uh, is not going to jeopardize that reputation to just simply put out a product that might work. Right. Um, so we went back and invested the resources we already have. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like we have to go out and find a new ruminant nutritionist and find everybody else to consult with. We have the intellect and the capability, uh, but we just created a project. Gotcha. It originally was started by uh, Dr. Paul Davis, who has moved on to the uh, American Feed Industry Association as, as an executive there. Uh, but very smart guy and a deer hunter who really understood the weakness of the products that were being presented to the hunter and land manager right. um, as it was. And he went back to the drawing board, worked with his team, uh, and created... Uh, that. I think the first idea came in in about 2014... Uh, commercially it started availability in 2015 and it's gone through a, a wholesale change once in that um, been improved um, and then you have the whole branding element where we we changed the bag to to be to have more shelf appeal but uh um, every one of these products even the attractant you know people think about attractants what is it? it's bait in a bag yeah. pour it out they go eat it um, and and don't get me wrong there's there's a lot of things you can put out for a deer that are going to be attractive to them but you know, we have a 19% protein uh, product that has a very high level of digestibility without being too high. Uh, we have the, the one that the boogeyman that always gets uh, kind of uh, pounded on a little bit is corn. Yeah. In that you can feed corn to a very weak deer who does not have uh, the room in microbes to digest a high-carbohydrate diet. They'll bloat. Mm-hmm. Um, a really weak deer might die. Uh, and so people get a little hinchy about what they actually want to feed. You can feed too rich a protein in the diet, too. Um, There's some some products that are hailed as as very attractive, and they are very attractive. The animals will seek them out because they have an aroma profile. Um, Now, we include those ingredients in ours, but we also try to balance it so that should a person try to overuse the product, or only want to feed one product, which is the attractant, right. they can still feed it. They don't have to worry about digestive upset, acidosis, or uh, diarrhea. Diarrhea is a big one. Um, a ruminant animal, how they function is they, they ingest fiber forage that creates this mat. Um, you know, most of us have heard the story about cow chewing this cud. Mm-hmm. Basically they ingest everything. They create a fiber mat. They start to digest the easy stuff. But that fiber mat catches the really rich ingredients so that everything can be chewed twice and broken down slowly by the microbes so that it can pass into the secondary chambers of the stomach and absorbed and utilized. Um, I liken it to a dessert table. Always looks great when you go to the buffet and they have this really long dessert table <laughs> and you walk by it and you know, if you stop there first, you're not going to get the hammer, the steak or the salad yeah. or anything else they're going to do. <laughs> and you really want to do that. But you also know, cause when you were a kid, your mom let you try it once you went home and you felt terrible <laughs> because you just over ingested. The same thing happens to deer. If they get on too much of something, um, Seasonally, mm-hmm. I mean, there is some seasonal variation. Deer in the fall can really absorb a lot of carbohydrates because biologically they're just going through a transition right. that says you have to put on weight. Yeah, We're done with babies. We're done with antlers. You have to put on weight. Yeah. Um, so it, thus, you'll hear people say all the time, well, I feed corn all the time. You know, started up about September, which is perfect, mm-hmm. um, and I feed it right through hunting season. Yeah, their biologically, their blood actually chemistry actually changes um, to work better with a high carb diet because they're preparing for winter, mm-hmm. winter stress. And you know, people, you know, they they don't talk about winter stress in southern deer uh, because there's no snow. But the the quality of forage in the winter in in the south uh, is paramount to the quality of forage up north right. and availability. Um, so. I'll get you There's a whole lot to talk about here. Yeah. But uh, um, essentially, when you look at these products, uh, we can take and optimize a product for its specific use without keyholing it too much. Right. Um, because that's the one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to create a, a product that is so specialized that it can be misused right. and is no benefit. Because then you got a customer spending hard-earned money um, with no benefit.
0: Right. So... so you buy monster meal, you go and you put it out on your farm or wherever you're hunting. Uh, what are the specific benefits? Not, you know, because everybody wants bigger antlers. Everybody's like, oh man, if I dump this out, I'm gonna get bigger antlers, bigger antlers, bigger antlers. And they don't necessarily, like, if the deer's healthy, that's great. But what are some of the other benefits to the biology of the deer? With using, let's say, Monster Meal on a on a consistent basis. Monster Meal has a product um,
1: essentially that if you identify weakness in your program, mm-hmm. okay, which in in some areas it's winter feed, some areas it's summer feed. Um, regardless, if you look at it from one standpoint, this is a supplemental feed. We're never going to be able to provide the volume. People would not be able to afford the volume to give a deer everything it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they're browsers. They're selective browsers. So they need good forage, browse. Um, you know, old soybean plants are good. They will actually ingest the, the leaf. It's very nutritious, but they'll, they'll ingest the stem to get that fiber mat going. Um, but uh, to a point, one of the things we identified was that people knew what products were but they didn't know where and when to use them. So we developed a seasonal. If you go to it, we're going to be launching a new website here shortly, uh, and it's going to have seasonal use. It's going to tell you the products that you're going to use, and there's going to be sidebars where you can go to find out more in-depth detail or an explanation of why you want to use the products there.
0: Um, I can just kind of run you through a season. Well, just what I want to know is it sounds like you have, I mean, every part of the United States that has deer has different soils, it has different vegetation, it has different uh, nutrition for the deer. So what you're saying is it sounds like that you have products or can customize products for every region that holds whitetails? It's, you can't customize it per region. Okay.
1: But basically, you take our our feeder pellet. Our feeder pellet is a complete nutritional supplement for the deer. Okay. How you manipulate the deer is, well, none of us can predict the weather. We can't predict um, crop rotations on ground we don't control. We can't tell whether our feed food plots are going to work well. Yeah. We can't tell if we're going to have soft mast or hard mast to feed off of. So a good land manager or a good person is always going to be cognizant of the fact that if, if I don't have to spend a ton of time, because a lot of us don't have a lot of time, but I can provide a mineral product, that is designed for wild deer Mm -hmm. so that they have it to use it if they need it. Right. If I provide a protein supplement that should they get into a period of winter stress, summer stress, or lack of hard soft mass towards the fall, they're not lacking for that, that nutrition. Mm -hmm. And then if we can feed an attractant that concentrates deer on an area because it gives them what they need at the time where we really want them on the property. Um, then all of our products will do exactly that. And you don't have to worry about doing any harm. Right. Um, and you heard me mention conditioning. Chase loves my, my conditioning uh, program in that if you feed supplementally on your, on your property, and it may only be 30 acres, mm-hmm. okay, the best hunting happens with the highest visitation frequency okay we're all happy when we're seeing deer if your property has the food the water the nutrition the cover that those deer need you are going to get higher volumes of traffic on your property right the more deer you get in your property if you don't have a big property to manage which is the vast majority of white tail hunters in the united states we hunt uncle Ned Farkle's 35 acres because it's where we have permission yeah okay now if we optimize it we create a destination we have a destination because we've we've identified the three priorities that all whitetails need: food, sex, security. Okay, they they really only do things for those three three reasons. Right. Um, they have security nine months a year. You know, people aren't shooting at them. Um, they may have some predation, everything like that, but uh, nothing we do really attracts predators other than the concentration of the game. We'll, well, you're obviously going to get some predator traffic there. Um, you know, reproduction. Reproduction only happens. Uh, where is that reproduction going to happen? And can I affect reproduction from the standpoint, if I, if I have a healthier doe, she's going to make more milk, she's going to have a bigger fawn. A bigger antler deer comes from a bigger body deer. Mm-hmm. Don't believe me? Uh, look at Canada, the upper Midwest. Right. They're very large subspecies of deer. People kind of discredit the fact that a subspecies, um, yes, they have a a higher capability because you actually pull that calcium phosphorus for antler growth out of the skeletal structure when they're building it. Um, But, so, back to the products, you don't have to put out a a 4,000-pound feeder or a feeder for every 100 acres and, uh, you know, capture deer and analyze them, everything like that. Basically, the products we have are really designed to be fed to a wild, wild whitetail. They'll consume them based upon their consumptive needs. Because the product doesn't have any holes in it. Um, it's a little more expensive, but it's expensive because it's it's got some things that you're not going to get from a recycled beef feed or gotcha. things like that. And lastly, we created products that they'll actually consume. Um, the pellets are the, are the ones that a lot of people have to doctor pellets to get a deer to eat it. Um one of my friends jokes that we don't have pellet trees out there, so they don't identify <laughs> it as, as a, you know, that's an acorn or that's a, that's a kernel of corn or that's an apple. Um, and it doesn't smell uh, or taste like what they would normally ingest. Right. So we had to go back to, okay, how do we make it smell like something they would eat? So our pellet has an apple, a natural apple flavoring to it. Um, what are they seeking out? Mm-hmm. They're going to get protein from it, but You're a relatively physical fit guy compared to me, and there's supplemental nutrition drinks. Uh, Some of those protein shakes are not exactly, you're not going to want to drink them every day because they taste horrible. Right, right. Now, they're very effective, but they're only effective if you drink them, right? Right. Um, If a deer will walk by a pellet just because they don't have the incentive to eat it, what good is it? Right. You can't get the nutrition into the animal unless they'll consume it. So all the products have a complete balance of the, the nutritional requirements of the deer, they'll also consume them. Okay. Um, and it's it's a very easy program because we don't have 42 different flavors of attractant. And, you know, well, I want persimmon, I want pecan, I want, uh, you know, peanut butter, you know, whatever. It's everything in the products is identified other than the mineral because, again, it's baseline mineral is rock. Um They don't seek out rock. They can smell, detect sodium, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not aromatic enough to attract them. So we had another, an apple flavoring there because that, that apple flavoring will uh, increase the curiosity. Once they get it, they identify it, they keep returning.
0: Gotcha. Um, So with these products, right, um, you know, as a business, you, you want your consumers to use them all year round, right? That's good for business. Is, are your products meant to be used all year round? Do the deer still get some of the benefits if they're used one or two months out of the year? Um, yeah, essentially,
1: if you look at it as a, a, the best way to use these products is to be engaged with your deer herd. If you want the most results, mm-hmm. be engaged with your deer herd 12 months a year. Right. If you live in upstate New York like I do, um, we cannot feed. We cannot place anything on the ground that might induce ingestion by a white-tailed deer. That's the law. Yeah. Okay. It's it's kind of crazy because I argue back and forth with the powers that be because um, for a five-dollar bait permit, one they can limit the amount of bait placed. Right now, the only people that they have is uh, people that are taking advantage of a, an agricultural situation and dumping tons of corn or whatever, and it concentrates the deer. In certain segments of habitat, what we want is more people using them on a broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're feeding corn or our products or anything else, it's better for the deer herd to spread available food out because they won't deplete the natural browse. They won't do all kinds of things that are not good for them. On the flip side, if you only have access to the property that you have, because uh, you can't go back and fill feeders or the farmer doesn't want you on it's a lease situation, things like that. Uh, most of the time you start with that mineral product, right? Um, so when it's a one and done. you can put it out in the winter time. It stays there for a long time. You can replenish it uh, pretty easily. It's uh, why we make a five pound bag and a 20 pound bag and a, and a 25 pound block. Uh, some states require that you remove the source mm-hmm. so we make a block. it's real, real convenient. Um, you'll get benefit. You can attract deer to your property, especially with our attractant, um, seasonally in your hunting area and you'll get benefit to the deer. They'll go, grow you know, during the cycle where they're growing, um, they will become attracted to it. But is it easier to attract, to attract deer that are already utilizing your property or do you want to have to wait and hope right. that they're going to come from better habitat and that's right. where they're coming from, um. You know, and you may not be blessed with the best habitat. Right. But you can improve what you can't improve where, you know, big timber where I live. I mean, thousands of acres of timber. Uh, not ideal for food plots. It's not ideal for a lot of things. And uh, we have a lot of maple forest. We don't have a lot of oak where I live. Yeah. So seasonally, we can see huge shifts in populations of deer. Um, a lot of guys hunt deer and they don't see deer because there's nothing there for the deer. If we were allowed to feed supplementally on a broad scale... Um, you would be able to spread those deer out a little bit more and retract and retain. Sometimes you just have seasonal habitat. You hunt in Colorado, you're talking about elk yeah. and the migration that they use. They, they move because they need to move. Right. Okay. But if you create a situation where they don't need to move, they don't need to move. Right. And that, that's good for you. It can be good
0: for your neighbors too, but it's, yeah. it's good
1: for you. Right.
0: Um, you know,
1: invest in your own
0: experience. Right. Absolutely. Help the deer. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask about diseases and deer diseases. And there are a group of people out there that say mineral sites, bait stations, whatever, can potentially, there's not a ton of research to back it up, but can potentially spread the the disease, let's say like CWD, right? What are What are your thoughts on, first off, CWD? And what, I mean, is it a negative? I mean, does... The the benefits? What's the deal here? Um,
1: First off, show me a place where good, healthy habitat and good, healthy deer is a problem with any transmissible disease in in wildlife. Mm -hmm. You can't find it, okay? The problem becomes is when people try to artificially inflate natural carrying capacities, You get in some of the suburban areas in New York, if you wanted to feed deer, um, and actually they do this in New Jersey. You can feed and bait in New Jersey because they want to concentrate the deer where you can kill them. Right. Um, But their deer density is way too high. Uh, Eventually, Mother Nature is going to step in. Yeah. Okay. And we're not promoting the artificial inflation of carrying capacities of deer. What we are is optimizing the overall availability of healthy products for the deer. Deer naturally congregate seasonally. Mm-hmm. They some some places they migrate in the winter up north where I am. They yard um, in the south. They avoid weather in certain and go to those green food sources and they concentrate on them. Anytime you have deer that uh, don't know each other or not familiar with each other um, in a non rut situation, the first thing they're going to walk up to each other and they're going to sniff muzzles, and they're going to lick each other, and they're going to mutually groom, or they're going to fight yeah. one or the other. Um, it's going on every day out there in the woods. Uh, CWD, you you don't have enough time for me to get into CWD. I've got a, a, a long-standing history of studying TSEs, uh, both back when I, I worked for the USDA, and uh, I just I keep up on it because it is so interesting to me to see the reaction of... The, the wildlife managers versus uh, all the information that we've already gathered in agricultural animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're ignoring the burden of proof on the agricultural side um, that there is a very strong genetic tie in CWD. Uh, in, actually, not in CWD. In all TSEs, there's a genetic, genetic predisposition for every affected animal. They're ignoring the fact that the amount of testing, uh, and I'm, I'm going off my memory here, but since 2004, I believe, the, the rate of testing has increased 3,300% for chronic wasting disease. The level of detection has not increased at a parallel rate. Gotcha. Okay, it's actually going down. Now, any statistical analyst is going to tell you... Um, all, all that's telling you is that the baseline is far below the reality
0: of, of what we're testing. Right. Okay. Um, so what you're saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that if every single deer in the United States was tested and positive CW, deer was tested positive CWD, the, the percentage would be almost so low that it wouldn't even be kind of an issue.
1: Yes. Right okay. now, I think the positive, and again, the, the general public doesn't understand what an APHIS, a, APHIS is Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, it's a division of the USDA. They set all of the testing requirements for the U.S. Department of Agriculture gotcha. um, and, and anything that has to do with animals. Um, there's a little bit of confusion because in a wild animal, in a captive animal, that captive deer is regulated by the US Department of Agriculture. A wild deer is regulated usually by the DNRDC, the mm-hmm. Department of Environmental Conservation or Natural Resources, Fish and Wildlife. Um, testing requirements essentially, there is no testing requirements for wild deer because, so what they do is they, they default to the next closest government agency, which is APHIS. Um, all those tests have to default to a positive. If the test, how it's done, um, can be compromised, um, you have to, they actually have to create a situation where they compromise the test and it creates a positive result. Okay. So there's always a certain amount of what we call presumptive positives that are retested that we have to call positives. Um, they get included in the positive side. The other thing is is when you look at the total number of tests versus the total number of detections in wild deer versus captive deer. Um, Captive deer, uh, I want to be very careful here because I am not anti-captive servants at all. If a person wants to own uh, essentially a white-tailed deer, whether it be wild or domesticated, and they can legally acquire that, uh, all the more power to them. It's free country and Mm -hmm. deer are amazing creatures. They're fun to study and watch. Um, they have a lot of benefits, and they're, they're, you know, they're they're really once they're in captivity, if they're bred in captivity, everything like that. Uh, the ownership of them is is no different than a cow or a horse or right. anything else. Um, but because there's so few captive servid facilities within the United States comparatively to agricultural entities, um, and again, this really points strongly to the genetic predisposition. There's a much higher detection rate in these captive areas than there is in wild whitetails. One, you've got mandatory submission for testing. Right. So virtually every animal killed, um, or a high percentage of the animals killed in in, in most cases, are tested at some level. Um, and so the more you test, the more you're likely to find. But is it going off our statistical baseline? Right. And what we're being fed is this... Kind of chicken little mentality of oh my god look at the rate we're finding it everywhere look at the number of tests you've you've done and the number of incidences you've identified as a presence absence and presence absence you know a lot of times it's just for we've heard about the prion the the the, the boogeyman that can jump trans species and genus and lie dormant in the soil for twenty years is not even a living organism but can become infected right right. infective it's I mean honestly I stood in front of a, a a symposium and said, this is what you're trying to tell me. And they base everything on, on some pretty poor sets of data, in my opinion, to come out with absolutely a conclusive... Uh, this absolutely is the transmission vector for... So there's for a little bit of
0: jumping to conclusions. If
1: you read them and you know how to read scientific data, there is an awful lot of theory and not a lot of... we. Show me the person that can say, okay, this is a CWD-negative deer gotcha. that we can turn into a CWD-positive deer with absolute certainty and uniformity. Right, They can't do it, and they haven't done it. They've had some instances where they believe deer were technically CWD-negative based upon... All the testing that they can do. And remember that the only way to really test is to test the spinal cord and brain. I haven't figured out an animal that I can remove spinal cord and brain tissue effectively to uh, to test that without right. killing the animal. Right. So you don't know whether it, uh, it, you know, the deer that they do find that are symptomatically positive. And here's another thing. How many symptomatic deer have they identified walking around in the wild? Deer that they were emaciated, listless, shot, killed, tested, it's less than 100 as far as I know. Last time I checked, Um, it's very low. Let's just, you know, without getting into specifics and people holding me and and, and everything, it is extremely low. So why are we dedicating all these resources to a disease that, one, has not proven that it has radial dispersion? Radial dispersion is, um, you know, you take Ebola. Right. When when Ebola hits somewhere, they create a quarantine area, they contain it, and they push it back into it until it's eliminated. Um, they first identified CWD in the late sixties outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, in a government research facility. And I've heard all kinds of conspiracy theories about right, it, right, trying to infect goats so we can you know kill everybody in the Middle East by taking away their food supply. I mean, <laughs> I've heard some crazy <laughs> stuff, um, which is almost as crazy as some of the stuff they want me to believe about CWD. Right. Um, you know, so I will get. Like I said, you don't have enough time for right. Medicine. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. You can concentrate animals, and anytime you concentrate animals, there is disease transmission that is naturally going to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, again, show me where. Uh, you know, my sales managers from Michigan. They're one of the only states that have uh, have a bovine tuberculosis control zone. Uh, one, have they controlled bovine tuberculosis? Um, in deer in that area it's a feeding and baiting state there is be baiting restrictions in that area things like that but it's endemically present because there's a high number of cattle there's a high number of uh, deer Mm -hmm. Um, and once it becomes endemic in a in a population um, it's going to exist at a certain baseline level has it decimated the deer herd in michigan no.
0: Um,
1: you know, some people, the DNR will tell you that we're not killing enough deer. We, we need less deer in some of these zones, and including some of the zones. CWD containment zones in Wisconsin. Um, you know, you're, you're chasing a ghost with trying to kill it out of the, the population. Especially, why would you decimate a population when you can't? First of all, you tell me that for 20 years, you literally have to kill them back and fence them out. Twenty years, if the prion was what was actually doing it, Um, you know. So, uh, I I just think the overall risk is is infinitesimally small. It exists; you can't deny that it exists. But um, it just sounds like there's a lot more research that needs to be done. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that remember that people make the, the rules, right? So, a lot of times, the court of public opinion can be swayed. And that causes legislation to be developed. Um, they don't. Politicians don't like like it when uh, they're accused of not doing anything about a situation. <laughs> and that has spawned over the last ten or fifteen, twenty years. Okay, what do I need to be ahead of? Right. Supposedly, if I do something, well, we did everything we could. Right. they're trying to control mother Mother Nature, and um, that's right. You know. You're trying to control God, and no one's going to do that. Um, But it makes them look good. It's good PR and and, and things like that. The other thing that one of my favorite soapbox things is hunters in general, landowners and land managers in general, have to be cognitive of the fact that the mentality 40 years ago of people that went into wildlife fisheries and wildlife management, they came from what I call a hook-and-bullet mentality. Um, whereas most of uh, Syracuse University, Cornell, are very close to my house, I get to speak to a lot of people that are involved with those entities. The people that are going to be managing our natural resources and are managing our natural resources currently today, um, the vast, okay, we won't use vast, but the majority of them do not have a consumptive mentality. They're not going to go out and catch a fish and eat it. They're not going to go out, shoot a duck, and eat it. They have no concept of why anyone would want to do that. They don't see the benefit in that because intuitively they also have the influence of endangered species and habitat management and everything else. Um, I get some pretty heated arguments about a, a, you know, people say, Well, I am a conservationist. You are, I said, but you're a spectator. Right. You know, you're not actively involved with your money. You're not actively involved in the whole entire system. You want to isolate the, the part of the system that you want to make believe doesn't exist. And that is that, uh, you know, everything that you're trying to manage is eaten by something. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, you think that it's better for an eagle to eat a dead fish on the side of a river than it is for a person to eat that same fish when ultimately neither the eagle or the person is going to be negatively affected by the other's consumption. Now, you can get to points where humans overconsume, consume right. But that's not happening in wild species populations in the United States. Gotcha. In fact, I would say right now, um, and I challenge some of my my non-consumptive counterparts all the time in that, you know, have you ever bought a hundred acres of ground just to improve the wildlife habitat? And if you bought a hundred acres just because you wanted to keep people from hunting and fishing on it because you didn't believe in killing the animals, what have you ever done to improve that that animal habitat? Right. Um, Right. They rely on conservation organizations like the Bluebird Society and, and... uh, the Audubon society and Sierra club and things like that to do that for them. Yeah. And they'll invest in those. But again, their idea is to restrict free access rather than create a sustainable model like the North American conservation model did. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting way away from what we talk about, but <laughs> trust me, I could talk about right, this right. stuff all day. It's so like, i tell
0: you what, let's make a hard, real hard transition. Hard left. Yes. Hard <laughs> left. And get back to monster meal a second. Um, why don't you talk about your, your pr- current product line real quick and just at a very high level, uh, what are your offerings and what do they do at a high level?
1: And you can break it basically down into uh, mineral, protein, and attractant. Okay. Uh, the mineral is mineral. It, it is designed as a, a perfect replacement of trace mineral elements for anything 95% of a wild whitetail would ever need to be able to right. consume. Um, and that varies across the country. But if you need it it's in there vitamins minerals sodium uh, you know everything that they need for that uh, the protein protein products are a block and that pellet that pellet is the most underrated product uh, it kind of gets the stigma as I pointed to before uh, you know you've tried other pellets and the deer don't seem to eat them you've got to mix things in with them to get them to eat them um, you won't have that problem with this pellet it they love it uh, we've got Our marketing entities, our test facilities, all, every one of them comes back with the same thing. The only problem I've ever had with that pellet is once they get on that pellet, they do not want to leave that pellet. Um, And they'll stay with it a little bit longer before they transition to natural food sources. Uh, Where does that come in? Uh, You can keep people off your food plots uh, a little bit because they're getting everything they need. They can kind of bounce back and forth without having to go to all that new lush growth. Right. Um, the block is a convenience product. If you want to put it out in front of a, a camera, people love blocks because you can you can get a time lapse in your your trail cameras. It's out there. You don't have to keep dumping it. There's mm-hmm. there's very little waste when you do it. Um, you know, so the protein block is always going to be around. Uh, they're really designed, uh, again, to get the animal the optimal amount of digestible protein um, that they need for. Everything they need, growth, milk production, antler production, everything. And then we have the attractants, which is the third segment. The attractants are what they are. They're attractants. Okay, now, we understood that a lot of attractants were like that dessert table. They would make an animal almost ill, and they'll hit them and back off and hit them and back off. The other thing we really looked at is what is your attractant doing for you and for the deer when you're not there? Because a lot of, I mean, very few of us have the ability to hunt seven days a week. So we may hunt on weekends, and we may put a product out there, um, and then it gets consumed while we're not there. We, we don't actually accomplish the task of uh, killing a deer over mm-hmm. What's it doing for you? Is it just the dessert bar, or is, is it comprised of elements that are, one, beneficial to the wildlife, two, every ingredient in there they identify as food naturally. Um, and that's important because when you're walking down the street and you smell something good, The first thing in your mind is not geez, that's sausage and peppers or that's Italian or that's Chinese. It's like, wow, that smells good. What is it? Yeah. Okay. Deer have the same it's it's how they orient in their world and decide what they eat. So if you if you compress ingredients that they identify as food always, universally, and across species. I mean, we have bears taking this off people's porches when it gets Delivered by Amazon in <laughs> New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, I have two bear outfitters that have used it, and they say it's it's just it's phenomenal how well it works because they can't pick it up and carry it away. Right. It also gives them uh, bears go through a hyperphagia stage where they're ingesting about thirty thousand calories a day. Jeez. Um, it's usually the baiting seasons happen right after. I mean, right before that, so they're kind of on their lead up because it's. Uh, um, You know, again, baiting laws are set by people who are pretty smart and uh, they can be abused. But, uh, again, ideally, if you're putting something in a bait barrel, what do you think is more beneficial to your bear to make it through winter? A donut? Yeah. Or a grain product that's giving them all kinds of energy. Right. That makes sense. Um, um, You know, so the attractants, as much as they are attractants, and we believe that if you test monster meal attractant against any other attractant, currently on the market or that anyone could conceive it it will meet or exceed your expectations right um so it really is and you don't have to guess okay well maybe i want to try berry flavor maybe i want to try apple flavor maybe i want to try you know raspberry jam or pecan or or whatever Uh, these are things that have a natural odor profile and and a nutritive value to them that they will seek out Gotcha. Um so what we'll actually find is is animals will come back to where you've placed this um and sift around even when the product's not there because they understand uh, intuitively not only do
0: I like this, I'm I'm you know, I need this. So you're gaining uh, something from it. Yes. Right. Okay. Anything any other any other products?
1: Not currently. We're working on some others because we do have uh, and it's more a method of application than it is a, an actual product. Um, we're working on some things that will be coming out next year. Um, again, we don't want to we don't want to just create products because uh, someone thinks they're a good idea. We want them to have an application that improves right. their use. Right. Um, and you know, sometimes we have we have people that have converted to Monster Meal because they've actually used Monster Meal to consume. Some of the other products that they were using help aid in that consumption yeah. before they converted. And, and that's fine because they figure out really quickly they can take something that a deer won't eat and use a product that we have, mix it in, and all of a sudden it's gone. Right Now they can convert to what they want to feed, and uh, and they save money in the long run. Awesome. You know, one, of, I, one of the things we also don't talk about is cost versus value. Um, there's some very inexpensive products, and... Corn is the uh, kind of the bellwether on this. Is you can find very inexpensive uh, corn locally. Right. Um, you know, so it doesn't cost you much. You do see a benefit. The deer do eat it. Um, it's it's not horrible, but it's not going to accomplish the what we believe should be the ultimate end goal, and that is uh, be a total benefit to the the wildlife around you, um, and create the best amount. Of draw for those animals to your right. property
0: so right uh, so you got you got this product it's science it's science-based right it's going to provide really good um, nutrition and health to to the deer herd uh, so we've we've covered all that stuff um where can we find out more information about monster meal
1: um monster-meal.com right um from the time of this interview, we should be launching the new website. That's going to be uh, – uh, we we're, we create – we revamp the website to be an informational resource. Right. Again, people people kind of understood what the products were for, but they didn't understand how they could use them um, differently right. and better. All that's going to land on the website. There's going to be frequently asked questions. You can also c- connect with us on, on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Gotcha. And I'll
0: tell you, there's – Just knowing Blake, I know that there's a lot more information, not necessarily about Monster Meal, but deer, herd, health, nutrition, biology that he knows. And that's, I guess this is kind of where I I get excited because Blake is getting ready to put out a podcast where he's going to cover a lot of these things and that's going to be on the Sportsman's Nation. Uh, So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what Whitetail 46 is. Uh,
1: Whitetail 46 was a concept uh, that was really derived over... I've made my living in the outdoor industry and when it started out it was... People want to be educated and entertained. Right. And sometimes we, we've we kind of clouded where marketing lies and where information lies. Right. Uh, because marketing information is not... Here's the information. Digest it and make a choice for yourself. It's specifically designed to manipulate an opinion, right? Uh, to to uh, affect the, a purchase of, of things. Um, we didn't. I didn't want to be involved with something that was very commercial, um, because it, it the customers being desensitized to it. They want they want to go back to being educated and entertained. And one of the entertainment things that's always interesting to me. I'm a I'm a deer nut. I'm a I'm a big game nut um i love hunting i love duck hunting i love turkey hunting i love varmints i love everything um but the unique stories that i have been exposed to in working in the industry are really probably just as interesting as anything we talked about today right when you meet someone from another state you're on vacation and uh all of a sudden you know you notice that he's got a a bone collector sticker in the back of his pickup truck and you start talking about hunting, and you hear about that story about hunting and how they got into hunting or what's unique. Um, there's places in, in Virginia where you can hunt deer over dogs. Yeah. Um, first of all, no one should form an opinion about anything until they're reasonably informed about it, or they've actually experienced it. Right. Um, so whitetail 46 was really, there's 46 states where you can legally tag a tail deer. The hunts within those states are very unique, and the hunters experience in all 46 states is very unique so what we want to do is create a platform where we will take submissions as this gets a little more energy and gets a little bit more formed whitetail 46 will take submissions from people in video blog uh, social media exposure and podcast format uh, that is interesting to people so we can hear about okay i'm from new york when i talk to people from florida about the way that they hunt and the deer their deer rutting in august Right. They have this crazy season down south South Florida. A lot of people don't even know that, but it's an interesting story to me because, you know, I think geez, mid August the deer are in velvet. They're hard horned down there. Right. There's a little tiny key deer and um, it's a it's a it's a neat thing. It's still a white tailed deer. You can relate to the person with the experience because they're a hunter just like you. Right. And the other commercialization issue that I've seen is that uh, we've seen some division within the ranks in that uh and, and i was part of that really as uh, i started deer hunting in 1984 and as i grew up bow hunting was really a you know, it was climbing as apex and there was a certain amount of pride in being a bow hunter but that pride turned to uh almost prejudice in that there were guys that you know i would never shoot anything with a gun well, why not well it's a gun it's it's like cheating well really then why do 90% of the people that go out with a gun still not get anything? Right. Um, and that is that is 100% focused on the kill. Yes. Not on the hunt, the experience, and how you got there. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're seeing the water spread out a little bit. Around me, waterfowl really started to burgeon. Why was that? Because the experience was much better. You didn't have to worry about getting yelled at if you had to track a deer on your neighbor's property mm-hmm. you didn't have to worry about going up to the landowner who lets you hunt there for 30 years to a that he leased the property for more money than you could afford you didn't have to you know deal with that and that's the deer hunting side but uh at the end of the day the story of all hunters is the story of humanity right and we can anyone can relate to that whether it's um, and, and that's why the video format and podcasts are so uh, popular right now because people can see the story unfold and they can relate to it, um, whereas uh, not everybody can relate to all the stories being told. Yeah. You know, we can't afford a 300-acre lease in, in south-central Iowa um, and wait three years to draw a bow tag and or four and then go out there and... Uh, it almost for the average guy with an average paycheck and average vacation, um, it's, it's great to aspire to that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but he just doesn't relate to it. So whitetail 46 is, is for every hunter, whether you be the most serious trophy hunter on the, on the planet. Um, we've got, I've got some great connections in Texas. Texas is a thousand miles North South and a thousand miles East West. In West Texas, East Texas, North Texas, South Texas, high fence, low fence, no fence. It's all right there. Yeah. So, you know, some of the people that we're going to have on the podcast and some of the videos you're going to see, um, and we're going to touch on some some relatively divisive subjects like high fence deer hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, what is high fence deer hunting? Um, again, if a guy wants to go in and, and, and kill a deer, a captive deer that's been behind a fence, um, that's his experience, and he can invest in that. Uh, not a lot of people are going to relate to that, um, but I've met some really good people who do that on a regular basis. Um, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. What I think we should be careful of is I don't w- I don't want hunting to become what it's become in Europe, Asia, and it's uh, kind of Africa a little bit too. Um, in that it's very regulated it's very inaccessible it's very exclusive mm-hmm. um, you know one of the great things about the white-tailed deer is it created the North American conservation model that I always talk about and it's that's because they're available everywhere right it was also the first conservation success story I mean it the white-tailed deer was the driving force and it wasn't DNRs and state game agencies that initiated uh, the conservation of big and small game and fish. Uh, it was the private citizen. It was the guy that realized, oh, my God, if we don't start our fish and game clubs, most of us have fish and game clubs, and they all started in the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, at least the ones in the Northeast and, and Upper Midwest did, and, and down south, the hunting clubs. The hunting clubs were not formed to be these exclusive things. It was, they realized if they did not protect it, we were not going to have access to it. Yeah. And so they, in doing so, they took the mentality that we're not only going to create an opportunity for ourselves, the freedom of opportunity, we're going to be a benefit much bigger uh, than what we are. And that is that is what Whitetail 46 wants to become we want to become a place where people come and say hey listen the american hunter is awesome it it was geared around whitetails we're probably going to wind up having to touch on a whole lot of different things but whitetail 46 is the story of um, american deer hunting really right and and we're excited to be part of that we're we're the uh, monster meal is the presenting sponsor for that because that's what we believe right and uh, you know, and, and when you talk to anyone who's involved with Monster Meal uh, as a whole, and it's a very small segment of our company, we're hunters and fishermen, and we're just like everybody else. I mean, we're not—we right. don't have any special advantage, right. and uh, most of us don't yeah. want it. Other
0: than my sales manager, who lives in Iowa, he has a special <laughs> advantage. In... <laughs> well, that's what I tell everybody about. You know, they—they're like, "Well, I can only hunt Iowa once every." I'm just like, "Move here. We got houses for sale." And a- and actually, Iowa. More people are moving out of the state right now than are coming back in, so you can find a place. I can. Uh, I have this thing called a wife
1: <laughs> who's
0: very close yeah. to her mother. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> so if, if, if I can move my mother-in-law into your house, I'll move to Iowa. How's that? Hey, I'm looking for a babysitter of three kids. Actually, you'd love my mother-in-law. My, I, I cannot say anything bad about my mother-in-law. My, as far as people have problems with mother-in-laws mine mine are minuscule she's a great lady and honestly i'm not just saying that because i'm on a national podcast i tell her this all the time she is she is wonderful so
0: well i think this is where we end it because we don't want to end up with our foot in our mouth so yeah it's not going to get any better <laughs> well blake i really appreciate your time thanks for taking uh, time out of your day today to hop on and uh, chat with us thank you and and you know We covered
1: a lot of ground today. If there's any other time you want to talk about something more specific or anything else, we can certainly do that. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have you on 46. Absolutely. I'd be be more than
0: happy to. Thanks huge shout out to blake for hopping on the podcast man tons of great information for your ears out of this podcast uh so uh, go check out monster meal if uh you can use the product in your state um huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast hunter safety systems lone wolf wasp ripcord ozonix prime and that's it uh please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because without them this isn't happening so uh uh, thank them by, you know, going and checking out some of their products and checking out some of their websites, man. It's, uh, you know, I'm trying to su- surround myself with really good companies and, and I feel like I've done that. So uh, do that. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to, to download, as always. Please subscribe. Um, that gets me a really good idea of what's going on, right? Uh, the, the At that point, then the. Podcast is coming direct to your phone. You don't need to go look for it. So subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail Feed, uh, the Big Game Feed, or just the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, feed if that's what you want. All you have to do is search on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, and you will find uh, our our podcast. So um, if you can't find it for some reason, just send me a DM through Instagram or through facebook and i will point you in the right direction or hell i may have to do some uh, more work so check that out and if you're not following us on social media instagram and facebook you need to do that also last but not least we have a youtube channel Right, so go check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel as well because uh, Southern Ground, Hybrid Outdoors, and Nine Finger Chronicles are putting out some uh, some pretty cool content there. And uh, I must say, I like what I like YouTube, uh, especially uh, what we can do and uh, with, with that platform. So uh, go check that out. And uh, last but not least, guys, if you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good week